You're listening to the Hunter Conservationist Podcast. So one of the things I notice on from the wild episodes and and because <clears throat> you duplicate some of the stuff with really nice photography on on social media I notice when you guys are out hunting in northern Alberta and it's cold and it's snow and everything so Jeff has got like Carhartt coveralls on a wool vest and jacket and some kind of like warm thing Kevin's got these canvas oil rig type gear and stuff on and super bundled up and you know you can tell it's like layered up because the sizes are probably a little bit big to accommodate some some clothing uh underneath it and totally understandable it's it's cold you know in in the north during hunting season and then there's john and and there's like a foot of snow and i'm looking at him and he goes he's got a pair of carhartt pants on just like regular pants a plaid shirt and then your big bill archery wool jacket duke and some mitts and i have that same archery jacket like it's nice i i love it but like it's thin it's not a big heavy duty you know mackinaw wool jacket for the winter time and so i'm like are you like super heat generating person with the special blood like are you a, a heat generator and and Kevin's like, I'm freezing my ass off out here. No, I can answer that because we sleep in the same tent and, uh, um, you know, we share the same, uh, well, having said that on our winter camp, hey, Kevin, but that was a different, that was equipment. I don't know, Mark, I don't know. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I'm, <laughs> I'm heavily layered underneath what you can see, right? So I've got okay, uh, okay. a wool shirt. What you don't see then... is the... The Milwaukee battery-powered heated jacket. The... <laughs> oh yeah, okay, no. okay. That's that's no, that's secretly yeah. no, no. Actually, I, I get know. made fun of by my kids by for wearing the same everything all the time. Like it doesn't matter. It could be 15 below or 15 above, and I'm pretty much dressed the same. I pack the same layers in July with my merino wool that I pack in winter time. I just kind of always pack the same, and my kids think that's pretty funny. Well, truth <laughs> be told, Mark um, and Kevin can attest to this. Uh, because I text him at the end of every hunt, uh, you know, just to give him the updates. And uh, I don't know how to how to most of my texts start, Kevin, in November. Bow hunts. That you're frozen and freezing, <laughs> chattering, cold and numb, yeah. and barely, yeah. you know, coherent. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty typical. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. There isn't sometimes, especially when you're sitting in the tree stand or just still sitting. There isn't anything you can layer up or where i it, agree with that my body agrees cold. with that i i can't i've yet to find something other than bear furs that will keep you warm in that kind of environment it's and like usually, the first yeah. hour yeah you, you sit down at the base of a tree or in the tree stand and you're like oh, i'm not i'm pretty warm I, th I think i can last and an hour later you're like oh my god it's <laughs> so cold well curtis that that's another thing too is uh i usually and when i say usually i mean never do I sit all day or even, I mean, I think the longest sit I've, I've experienced in the last two years was four, four hours. Um, so usually I just go in like the night I shot my buck there on the 24th. Uh, I'd, 
I, I went in for two hours. Yeah. It was near last light when I shot that buck and I had only been there for two hours. So that's another trick, right? If you're trying to sit all day, yeah, there's no way I could do that. Um, but I try to, you know, I've had bigger insulated jackets and coveralls and things like that. And then I find that I lose all my mobility. And, you know, an example of that is when that buck came in, he, and this happens almost every single time he comes in to the base of your tree and you don't know what he's going to do. Is he going to walk through you like past you so which side of the tree are you shooting on so you're trying to get your 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 bow or your arrow on one side of the tree or the other or your there's a lot of movement like a lot of movement um in the tree stand when you're about to shoot at these bucks so uh, i have to stay moderately thin with my clothing or else i just lose all that yeah yeah i know totally i and i know that that feeling of um you know the balance between not being the michelin man up in the tree stand because there's not a whole lot of room there to start out with even like your back like you know you you can't even sit comfortably if you got you got too many too many layers on i always find spring turkey hunting is one of the times i get the coldest because i you know you will sit for long periods of time like you're they're kind of like you know whitetails in the sense like you're you're better off when you're not moving like just they're moving around and feeding and the longer you can sit and tolerate it it's like your chances are improved but by the time you hike into some of these areas like you're pouring pouring sweat and you're like oh i'm fine it's really good but i've learned once you sit down put everything on pull the down jacket out get the neck warmer on get the two get everything you're hot for a little bit and then, like Curtis said, an hour later, you're like, "This is not enough." <laughs> well, and the the springtime too, especially turkey hunting, it's like it's freezing cold in the morning. It's frost and your negative temperatures, and then by about ten o'clock, you're like, "It's fucking twenty degrees out now," and you're like <laughs> peeling everything off as you're walking back to the truck, and you got all your down and puffy pants and everything stuffed into your pack and your pack's huge but you're like man i need that because it's cold in the morning and that's when you got a late a late after late morning or early afternoon gobbler that's still giving her on some far away ridge that you're gonna just like you know book it to try to get over there and you're cooking to death and oh yeah so you, yeah no i was just hunt? Because we don't turkey hunt at all, zero. I know, I know. it's uh, it's once one of my favorite hunts. Yeah, it's once in a lifetime draw here. Yeah, I th I wow. think you guys should come over here one spring and uh, and play with wild turkeys. Is that in the Fernie area? In Ontario, but um, close. Yeah, so we're uh, Curtis lives in Fernie, but I'm just over top of the mountains in in Cranbrook, so. Um, more turkeys on the west side of the Rockies than sort of in the valley where where Fernie is. So, definitely, you've done them in Ontario. Yeah, I've I've been turkey hunting for from the wild with uh, a chef out in Ontario once. Oh, okay. Um, so I have some kind of read on what that hunt is like, but we just don't. I've got my draws in for Alberta, but I don't know, priority seven or something like that. Wow. It's just not something that's it's so weird hey they're so isolated in that like you said you go into that range around um radium and all of a sudden kaboom they're everywhere yeah they can be yeah it's they're 
they're misleading though because in the winter time like now they've aggregated into the big winter flocks so you can see 60 80 turkeys and they're they're chill in the winter time because they don't want to do a whole lot and expend a lot of energy and so you're like oh my gosh turkey hunting must be just like so easy even in pre-season scouting in the springtime their strut will start in like late february or march and you go out ahead of the season and like you get into these huge flocks and it's absolute chaos there's like gobbling and squawking and yelping and like toms and jakes running in every direction and like it is it's just like it's barnyard chicken chaos and then just before the hunting season opens up the big toms come in and one pushes a few hens off here and off here and so these big aggregate groups break into these little you know three four five groups and then they disperse across this big mass of landscape and then now the hunt's on hmm. it's like becomes the needle and needle in the haystack and elk are the same way here you know big winter herds then in the fall like you can hunt for a week and go like there is no elk in this part of the world so but uh no man you guys are welcome to come over here like i mean it's just a non-resident upland game bird license and oh really wow yeah mm. pretty inexpensive you wouldn't have to ask me yep. twice mark that's one of my bucket lists that and blacktails always wanted to oh, do that right yeah yep. mm. Well, I don't know what would be easier. Might you might have to try both and then tell us. I've never hunted blacktails, so. Oh no. But don't have no, to go tur as far turkeys are, for turkey. Turkeys are are amazing. So we just had turkey breast for supper last night and tonight. So one one side, one lobe. I I cut it into like half inch flat steakets, steaklets. Um, pound them and then bread them and then just quickly coat them uh, with a bit of olive oil. It only takes like 13, 14 minutes to cook them. And so one lobe off of the turkey um, made, I think, a dozen cutlets. Hmm. Wow. So that was supper for my wife and I last night and I had like three cutlets. I had one for lunch today and then I had uh, one for supper tonight, and she had one, so there's oh, probably still a couple it, left over. That makes it worthwhile doing then, hey? Like, oh, it does. I just was under the impression that, and these are what, Miriam turkeys, Miriams? Yes, yeah. Miriam subspecies, yep. See, we raised Miriams, Kevin, uh, well, you know, we, well, those turkeys that you and I butchered, those were Miriams. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's going back a few years. Yeah, hey. <laughs> So we can get them here and just farm raise them and butcher them ourselves. So, um, you know, and I guess they were pretty big sized turkeys for sure. Uh, we had them for Christmas and yeah, to hmm. portion them up like that. I didn't, I wouldn't have guessed that they'd be so many meals. Oh man. It's, I've always yeah. found it. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like it's bigger than a goose breast, like the turkey, probably twice the size of of a goose breast and um i always like separate them out because thighs legs wings neck they got to go to the slow cooker they need all day to to soften and and 
pull apart. They're not like the domestic ones in, in that sense. But the breasts are every, from the wild birds, are every bit as, you know, tender and juicy and stuff as a, as a domestic turkey. So, oh man, it's, it's not even the new year yet and we're talking about turkey and spring turkey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, uh, hey everybody, it's Mark Hall, your host. And it's Curtis Hall, your co-host. The Hunter Conservationist Podcast is brought to you by the community-minded Alpine Toyota in Cranbrook, British Columbia. Fully stocked parts and services for all makes and models of vehicles. They have seven service bays and a team of licensed technicians, and they are well-known for their off-road outfitted Tacoma 4x4s, which would be pretty sweet for getting you into some spring turkey hunting spots. You can buy tires for all makes and models, including off-road and winter tires. Again, off-road tires get you into all those hunting spots. Big supporters of Ducks Unlimited. Um, big supporters of us. So they're very conservation-orientated. Uh, thanks to Alpine Toyota for being our title sponsor. Cool. Thanks, Curtis. Hey, everybody. So we're joined today by uh, John Snyder from Alberta host of the Food Afield podcast and one of the main, should I say, character actors. It's definitely not acting. Talent. <laughs> Talents, Mark. One of the main talent, frontline talent <laughs> stars of From the Wild series, which is our favorite outdoor show, Curtis and I. We love yeah. it. And also on the show, back on the show, uh, welcome back, Kevin. Kevin Kozawan, creator of From the Wild series. Good to be back. Thanks for having us back. Yes, thank you. And half the time you're in front of the camera and half the time you're behind it. Yeah, I'm behind it way more than I'm in front of it, but because that's what I do for a living. I have to point cameras and then I have to go home and edit all the things and write all the music and do all the editing and all the post-production all that stuff so it takes a long time behind the scenes yeah totally I can appreciate that and then John and Jeff are like hey what are you doing yeah yeah <laughs> want to go, go ice fishing like mm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so yeah I'm really excited to have you guys have you guys on the show um John it's great to meet you and Nice to meet person, you guys too. I guess we'll call we'll call this person for sure. Um, you know, we'll we'll maybe get into this uh, in, in part of the discussions. But I love I love your podcast because it's it's like just like this. It's not like this where it's kind of in this setting. Like you do it out in the field, and it's just kind of like things are happening. You can hear the sound. You can hear the fire. Um, you know, like. You, you hear Kevin, like he's up close and all of a sudden he's like, well, I got to go over here and do something and check, check the fire or whatever. And so then he's like, you can hear that he's gone, you know, a little ways away and or you're by the stream or, or whatever. And, uh, I, I love that because it's like, I don't know where else or who else is doing that. I don't follow a tremendous amount of podcasts, but, um, yeah, I, we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into like your thoughts behind that show, but I just want to let people know. Um, I think it is one of the more unique outdoor platform podcasts that are out there because it's just, yeah, thanks, Mark. you know, it's like the From the Wild show, but you can't see anything. 
Yeah, so you're just l- listening. And if you watch the show, then what's neat about John's podcast is, for me anyways, then I'm putting a picture to that. Mm. Oh, I can picture the tent. Oh, I can picture that. And I can this and I can that and, you know, and sort of thing. So I don't, it's more mentally stimulating for me. Interesting because it's also kind of some um, almost behind the scenes too, because uh, the podcast's often being recorded in our, on our, Mm. on our shoots for From the Wild. So um if there's cer- cer- certainly lots of dots to be connected if you're paying attention to both programs that you know that's they're interconnected heavily mm, totally at times at times so there's uh no no chance for something to slip by if if you try to edit something out then john puts it in the podcast and <sighs> make sure the truth gets out well we yeah we coordinate some things i mean there's sometimes when i want to talk about something but maybe kevin is uh, wanting to premiere that idea or that topic on the episode. So we respect each other. And conversely, Kevin will oh, oftentimes yeah. come up with ideas for my show. Like, hey, why don't you record this? And Or we'll be having a conversation. He'll say, dude, where's your recorder? Um, you know, this is a good conversation to have. So, yeah, we, we respect each other's uh, art, I guess we'll call it. And uh, yep. try to work together on that as much as we can for sure. No, you guys are doing a doing a great job. Absolutely. We joke about it. Our our hunting camp is AV club. That's what we do. <laughs> it's just AV club. It's like go get the it's great stars tonight. Go get the cameras and get the time lapse stuff set up and let's record some audio. And yeah, it's oh. we're just it's a big jam session of AV stuff when we're in the field. That's for sure. Oh, that's cool. Oh, cool, cool. And you, and you don't have to worry about any uh missing any assignments. No, exactly. You can just do whatever you want. It's like freedom. Yeah, well, totally. We, yeah, we remind each other too. Uh, I'm Kevin's better at that than I am, but uh, you know, he's he prompts me at times to don't let him forget something, and um, and vice versa. So yeah, you're right, Mark. We it, it helps when you got two sets of eyes looking at something. Um, it, yeah, definitely is helpful for sure. Oh, cool, cool. No, I'm. Uh, very inspired by everything you everything you guys do. So, um, so one of the things I want to kick off here uh, in conversation as well is kind of your your whitetail season this year. I mean, your your whole hunting season was just like I think you guys must probably feel like you right from spring, um, and and the 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 grouse crop and you know this year like you had a phenomenal year uh and it seemed to i you know i guess the white tail season was like the culmination of the tail end of of the main part of the season and man um john just had a phenomenal phenomenal like last minute late season hunt and a beautiful beautiful buck and so I wanted to talk a little bit about like whitetail season because it's still on. Um, I'm headed out, you know, on on the weekend and stuff. And so maybe just do a th- few things for me, just like however you want to do them. Kind of reflect on the season. Tell me like your thoughts. And then specifically with whitetail hunting, maybe talk a little bit about where you're at at this stage of your life with whitetail hunting and what did you what did you learn this year like specifically with with that john what are your thoughts uh well 
that last question is really easy to answer because it's something that I've sort of struggled with for, you know, for years is, well, how do I put this? I guess uh, in my previous hunting, bow hunting career, uh, I was focused entirely on trophy hunting. And so it was literally just, you know, uh, grinding it out to try to get a crack at the biggest buck I could. Then mm. taking a break from bow hunting to start my business and move the farm and things like that. Um, the last two years have been a struggle wanting to connect with my traditional uh, archery equipment again and not knowing, you know, falling in, in between the cracks, so to speak, of trophy hunting and just put something on the ground because uh, you need to get back in the game. Um, and this season I was able to, with Kevin's help, just sort of nail that down. I had it, I'd set two goals for myself and it's funny, I, I recorded that in September and I was just listening, editing it today, that I had two goals to shoot the biggest deer that I could and the smallest deer that I could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so that's, I think where I'll be from now on is, uh, you know, that, that I want a trophy hunt for the freezer and then I want to quote unquote trophy hunt for the fun of trying to connect with a big buck so right mm. so goals are very important to you in hunting like kind of pre-thinking out like these oh. are some things i would like to do yeah i think this season or... you, yeah i mean so yeah for me i know kevin has thoughts on this as well but for me uh yeah goals are important and sort of throwing a monkey wrench in that is that through Kevin and Jeff, I have developed uh, a love or an interest in rifle hunting. Uh, I've always wanted to harvest a deer with my shotgun. I still haven't done that. Um, so I find myself maybe even a little conflicted at times with what uh, tool do I use um, to accomplish some of these harvests. Um, you know, so if I have a goal at the beginning of the year that I want to do this with my recurve and you know, maybe next year I was thinking about that already. Maybe next year my goal is I want to harvest the smallest animal I can with my shotgun just because that would be cool. So that means November. Yeah. It, so that means focusing really hard in September and October with my bow, for instance, to try to get the biggest yeah. buck I can. So, yeah, hmm. I don't know. It helps me to sort of break it down into goals for sure. Oh, cool. I didn't really reflect, but I'll let Kevin maybe reflect on our, on our whitetail season. Yeah. Well, Mark, you'd mentioned about just having an, a bit of a a landmark season. Uh, for me, it certainly was that. Uh, starting, like you said, in the spring, we had a pretty epic bear hunt. And then um, for me, it shifted. I was on the ocean for a month sea kayaking. So I was catching lingcod off my kayak and catching salmon like crazy. <laughs> I just like that. I had a killer year in the, on, in the summer and then um, a busy... Uh, a busy fall with with hosting people again I guess for the first time post COVID or, or during COVID having uh, Melissa Thin out uh, from Ontario and Chef Blair Lebsack back, back out in the field so there was a bit of that where my hunting objectives were shelved but we were still uh, achieving uh, what we needed to so both Mel and Blair harvested whitetails and then it was my turn and uh, John and I put into the bush in October and it's a tough time of year to hunt whitetails uh, where we go. Uh, there's no question about that. But in, at the end of the day, I, I filled uh, an antlerless tag and got uh, some early season whitetail in the 
in the freezer, which is always an objective for me. I'm always a fan of of that late September dough that hits camp. That's just so great because we have mm. fresh venison that just really kind of gets you back in the in the headspace and in the mood to eat it and just excited about that ingredient again. And then when it comes to, um, you know, I, I had, uh, I've gone through a pretty big evolution, I'd say in the last 14 months, uh, kind of last season and this season, um, a big change in how I'm approaching whitetail hunting, uh, largely because of hanging out so much with John and his process that I was like, well, I want to do that. I want to approach it largely in the same way, but with a rifle. And then I got into rattling last season. And I rattled in a mule buck and I rattled in a whitetail buck. And uh, a friend of mine shot the whitetail that I rattled in. And so this year, I, my season ended when I rattled in uh, I rattled in a couple bucks in one morning, like deep in the bush, and uh, one, I shot one of them. And um, it's a pretty exciting way to hunt. I'm I, A big heavy lesson last year, I'd say, is that, uh, boy, we're sure all built different in how we like to be outside. And some people love sitting and will just sit all season, every day, and they're just pumped about it. And if you make me sit for one day, I'll poke my eyeballs out with the nearest sticks on the trees because I can't stand it. But what I do like is I like walking. So um, so when I was rattling, it was like take a position. I do a lot of scouting beforehand, but then take a position in an area that, that should be decent uh, or have opportunities in it and then rattle and then give it a half hour to an hour and then, you know, move 500 yards down closer to deeper into the position where you think they might be and then rattle and hold. And that was my strategy this year. And it took me, I was on morning number two and, uh, that was the end of that. So kind of, a uh, it's really successful year for me in that I really wanted to try, um, reducing the randomness of my encounters with whitetail and being more proactive and strategic about how we're uh, engaging with them in the field um and and i did that and then john went and won with his uh bow and it's so funny because that buck was huge and or is huge and uh i was almost bummed that it was so huge (laughs) because (laughs) any buck or any deer that John would have harvested with his traditional gear would have been such a huge win. Oh, but I cool. think it's distracting when it's like, oh, it happens to be this gigantic buck. Um, people kind of forget, like, D- he harvested that with a bow, like his traditional gear, not just, was it a compound bow? It was like traditional archery gear win. 60 and, uh, years old. Yeah, and I've been following John. It's like there could be nobody, I, I think, that could have appreciate that harvest more than, than John, but secondly would be me because I've been in the field following John's story for like literally years. Mm. Like not one hunt, and we just went on that hunt mm. and such. It's like, I don't even know how many hunts, like lots, years of hunts, uh, that when that came together, uh, it was it was like just, un- it's still unbelievable that it all is a story, you know, that, that came to a logical conclusion. It just seems crazy still. Yeah, it's it, it. It was a text textbook ending. Like it just felt like yeah. it was it was it really a movie. Was, yeah. And and uh, I th- I think that makes it special because it's what you dream of, and then that's kind of what 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 happened. So, Curtis, you uh, you did the first this year at the end of the whitetail season, yeah. right? Like your last day, really. Yeah, I uh I've been I've been trying to rattle or been rattling for a few seasons. Pretty I I usually spend the first part of the season on elk and then I kind of switch to mule deer in the high country and then I, I 
I love the late season, late November whitetail. And so I usually switch to that. And the last couple of weeks of the season, I've, I've just, I rattle and I've never had a buck come in. My best friend, he rattles and he swears by it. And he's like, oh yeah, I, we'd be the one time this season where I was sitting there and I could see across the valley over the river where he was hunting in behind, uh, in behind his parents' private land. And, uh, I was with my girlfriend. I'm like, seen anything? He's like, yeah, we've like, we've rattled like four small bucks in already. I'm like, Oh God, like nothing. <laughs> and it was, it was frustrating. Cause I'd like sit there and I'd rattle and rattle and rattle and nothing. I'm like, I don't think rattling works. And I remember, I, so I remember this year <laughs> I was, I was sitting out and got down. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is going to be a good spot. He's going to come down this trail, down this trail. It's kind of like I got nice opening behind me, so he's not going to come around. I got the wind blowing in my face. I'm like, this is perfect. And I was like, rattle, 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 nothing, 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 rattle, rattle. And then I'm kind of sitting, 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 and nothing happens. And I just kind of got a little bored, and I just pulled my phone out, and I was just checking checking through some messages. And I actually saw your post where you said uh, – I wasn't a believer in rattling and something like that. And then all of a sudden it came together. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, oh, well, that's just bullshit. Like, there's, there's, <laughs> I'm like, I was, I was convinced the rattling didn't work. And, uh, on the last day of, of my season, it was two days before the, the close of the season, kind of my last weekend before I had to go back to work. Um, I went out with, with my dad in a spot that I've been hunting for the last few years and lots of bucks on, and I've seen lots of nice bucks in there and, and, uh, sat down spot that I'd seen a buck the day before and rattle, rattle, rattle and nothing. And we kind of pull our sandwiches out and start eating. And then we hear a little noise behind us and I spin and it's like, there's a buck looking at us. I'm like, Oh shit, it worked. <laughs> and, uh, and anyways, made it, made it happen and, and got my white tail for the year. So oh, first right buck that I ever you. rattled in, I was, yeah, me too. Uh, that right was on. pretty cool. It's so pretty exciting. I'm a, hey, I'm a believer now. <laughs> Sure, sure, converts you. And yeah. I read some research. I did a really heavy deep dive uh, last winter, uh, reading almost everything that I could possibly jam into my head on the internet about whitetail hunting. And there is a lot of stuff on the mm. internet about whitetail mm-hmm. hunting. Uh, and one of those pieces was that I've, I'm going to get this wrong, but if you find it, you should uh, dig into it. There's some research that's been done in the United States. Uh, I forget which university, but they did some rattling research to uh you know with with tagged deer and and spotters and towers and all kinds of stuff to count how many bucks when you rattle of there's a population of 20 bucks how many would come in and to do stats and it was something like like 60 percent of bucks would i'm gonna get all this wrong but something like that uh 60 percent of bucks would respond and but that half the time the the person the hunter on the ground wouldn't see them Mm. and so if you've seen one buck that came into you you've had way more and i'm convinced of it by this point that when I shot my buck this fall uh, that I rattled in, uh, I had rattled one more in in a different position, but I heard two or three of them around me. There was crunching mm. and cracking going on that I was like, oh, that's got to be a deer. And then oh, sure enough, one of them on one side pops his head out. Um, but there's, yeah, that, just give that some thought. Like, how many are you blowing totally. up? Yeah. Totally. Then, yeah, because... You know, little bit of my heritage with just bow hunting and then hunting at a tree stands is you get much better vantage points with that so uh the second i've killed four hopi young bucks now with my recurves and um they the only one that i haven't called in was this one this year um Hmm. but i've had the i've i've watched uh i've watched two of them uh come in from like you know uh, 300 yards away kind of thing 
as I've been rattling. So, you know, you really see their behavior at play when you're elevated. So, yeah, yeah, that is true. It is. And then again, here in Alberta hunting, when you're rattling whitetails, you're doing it in November. And there's been plenty of times when we've been hunting and it's minus 20 or minus 25 or whatever, some ungodly number. And, and so the sound really travels. And I remember one, I shot, uh, the blind buck, uh, back in the early two thousands. Um, he had one eye that was, uh, opaque and blind. Um, and he was a big mm. open young buck and, uh, I could hear him coming from, you know, like a quarter of a mile away, right? As soon as I had put the antlers down, I could hear the across the, the hard packed snow. Yeah. So yeah, it really works. Yeah, it, no. it's changed my life, and and in so far as um, we're we're playing, and John can attest to this. We've got a couple spots that we're hunting where if you get on your boots and leave the the trail, there's and you walk 500 yards, there's like no hunting pressure, like zero. So these bucks aren't hearing other hunters rattling. It's not like elk calling in a busy elk area where they get wise to bugling or something. These, I'm convinced that where we're hunting, they, this deer have never smelt a lure or heard a rattle or nothing. Um, so that makes it pretty exciting for me. It makes me want to tear in there and, and, and chase in that kind of environment. Again, it's really kind of active and proactive and, and fun. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really changed my life and it'll change my life in uh, mule deer hunting in the grasslands too, because I have proven that you can rattle in a, a mule buck. It took me all of like two days. Uh, I just didn't get a shot because there was a bunch of brush and, and such. But, um, and, and really, I find rattling mule deer, like when we were down there doing that, everyone's, there's not much support. Let's put it that way. Everyone thinks you're a bit crazy. Like, why are you, that's not, that's not how you kill a big buck. You kill a big mule buck by driving around. And then when you see it, you shoot it. That's how you kill a big buck. And I, I'm just kind of bored of that style of hunting, I guess. Um, so I'm looking forward to, uh, rattling in mule deer in the grasslands too, in the coming years, it'll be a lot of fun to chase them that way instead of the random, the randomness. Mm-hmm. How exciting. Yeah. What, what have you guys learned about, um, like the actual antlers that you're using for rattling? Like, have you tried big versus small, yes. old versus hard? Yes. Um, what's, <laughs> what's, uh, what's the ticket? John needs new antlers is the ticket. Yeah, I, would. I think you've really we've been talking about this exact topic because you've been having trouble john well um i never used to have trouble but for the last two years so kevin says i've been trying to bow hunt for years and he's not lying that's true i have picked up the bow for certain episodes of from the wild over the last four or five years but i don't know in I, just in the nature of filming the show or the nature of where we were or who we were with I, it, you know it wasn't very serious efforts put in kind of thing so it's been the last two years that i've gone okay this is how i used to hunt bow hunt deer and this is how i'm doing it now and kevin's been a great support of that process change so really it's been two years and um it, over those two years i just haven't I don't know if I've rattled, well, I've rattled in two bucks in the last two years, and they were both this year. Um, whereas, Kevin, you've rattled in, what, four now, mm-hmm. or at least? So um, he's out-rattled me two to one, and he has quite large uh, mule deer. Is it from a deadhead, or are they sheds, Kev? They're sheds. Like, they're yeah, old, weathered. Mule deer sheds. They're all broken up now. Um, you that's think. how hard I rattle. Yeah. I smashed them yeah. apart this year pretty bad, actually. Got to and, them. 
and my rattling antler is from a buck that, that I shot with Kevin with my rifle, I'm going to say three years ago. Hey, Kev, something like that. Yeah. Um, and they are, it's a small eight point, like, I don't know, size wise, I don't know, um, not Pope and Young, but, you know, not small either. It's a mature, uh, you know, four by four. Kind of in, inside the years, basket buck kind of size ish. Yeah, uh, ish. Yeah, maybe a little bigger yeah. than that. But, you know, I was listening to, I had recorded some audio of me rattling this fall. And I was listening to it today, editing it. And I was like, these things sound so tinny and light and weak, you know. And I was, so I was just bumping, like, Curtis, you'll appreciate this. I was just bumping the bass on this, you know, <laughs> trying to get them to sound like, I knew what I was doing and it wasn't some rattling newbie or something and they just couldn't do it. They were, they sound horrible. Um, in maybe that's just the recording, but yeah, when I hear Kevin's rattling, it's a deeper, thunkier sort of sound for sure. So I'll be looking to upgrade my antlers and, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of, I've formulated a lot of theories in my mind as to what that is, what that might be. I think a lot of these big bucks just can't be bothered to hear, they hear two little dink bucks fighting, you know, they're not going to leave does or they're not going to leave whatever it is that they're doing to go referee some fight with two squids, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to, they want to hear, you know, two sort of dominant bucks going at it and then they'll come in and, and, and show who's boss. So that's the only I fully sort of agree, theory. John. Yeah. And, and most people would say don't use heavy antlers because you're going to uh, scare away a lot of the kind of medium, smaller size bucks and uh, see fewer bucks which entirely might be the case. I don't know, but uh, I don't care. I'd rather see a bigger buck anyway. So uh, I've been challenging them with big antlers. Yep. Kind of mm -hmm. a sidebar is that I rattle in white tails with mule deer antlers and the one mule deer buck I've rattled in, I white rattled in with white tail antlers. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't think it matters apparently what species you use of antler. Well, I use, I use a set of moose antlers, just kind of little, little sort of three point moose antlers and nothing came into those so maybe maybe right. don't use moose antlers maybe mule well i used to give i used to actually give seminars on how to rattle in the states when i was back in my outfitting days this is before the internet and uh so we would travel this the uh the outdoor show circuit in michigan and pennsylvania and all over the u.s and over the years you know enough articles get written about you and uh you know or books or what have you um they ask you to start speaking and of course every week that we had hunter, hunt or every week that we had hunters come up with us we would give them that seminar on the first night okay here's what you need to do and here's how you prep your gear and whatnot um and uh so yeah what was my point with this my point was that there is a right way and a wrong way to rattle and i i demonstrated to that kevin a few times like if you hold your antlers really light you know, when you bang them together, they have that tin, hollow, tangy sort of sound. But if you just grip them real hard uh, and and put them together, they sound alive is the word I've used. And then the other trick that we always used to do was we'd wrap them with uh, cloth, like hockey tape. Listeners in the U.S. won't have a clue what I'm talking about when I say hockey tape. But that cloth tape um, wrap the base of the antlers, even the, the whole main beam wrap them with two or three layers of tape and uh, that helps with the sort of deadening the sound i guess to make them sound more alive so yeah 
Like they're actually yeah, attached to the head of an animal. To the head, mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say they probably don't quite have the resonance when they're loose versus when they're attached to something that's deadening the sound. I mean, that's why I always kind of like those moose antlers because they were sort of like, they heavy. were like big, fat, heavy whitetail antlers because yeah. it was just a small bull. Um, they didn't have like super long tines. Like you didn't have to worry about like scaring mm. yourself or like, you know, like how you jab yourself sometimes with, with a sharp tine or whatever. I've never but done they that. Just, <laughs> <laughs> they just had a really good kind of like hard bone sound that just, I always mm -hmm. felt kind of like reverberated nicely out, you know, out into the forest and stuff. But I don't know. They don't have a really good track record. <laughs> so it's kind of like funny because, oh, go ahead. No, it, it just, it reminds me of the lure ice fishing, right? Like, it's like, it it's like, oh, that one works. So it's sort of like, oh, it's got a, a red stripe, a yellow stripe, and a red yeah, stripe. Yeah. And I was using a yellow red stripe, and, and I was like, that, oh, I got to switch over to the, you know, it's like. And then somebody says, yeah, I was splitting firewood, and it was cold out, and it was kind of cracking <laughs> that. And all of a sudden, yeah. there's like this 190 mule deer buck standing there by the, by the gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually on that, I wanted to mention that one of the big things that, I mean, other than being more strategic and proactive in finding whitetails and, and kind of doing okay at it, uh, which has been really inspiring, I really, uh, me being not so able to just sit still because I suck at it a little bit and get cold, uh, I love that when you're rattling, you can make a ton of noise. So if I want to mm. move around and shift around or smash stuff, you can, I was, I'm as, when I'm rattling, I'm as noisy as I can possibly be when I'm doing a, a session. So if I have to pick something up or I want to move somewhere, I'm uncomfortable. It's like it's the biggest permission slip ever. It's so nice. <laughs> what a piece of freedom out in the bush uh, that I never, never had before. It's really great. I, yeah, I find advantage. that when I'm, an advantage I find that, that when I'm doing it for elk. Oh yeah, there you go, Mark. Yeah. And I was just going to say, and that's something that I don't get to enjoy in a tree stand, right? You can't thrash around because it's just going to be you stomping on a metal platform. Right? And so, busting right? the bushes. And yeah, yeah. yeah elk, elk hunting's kind of cool because uh, I found this little scenario um, that really seems to pique a bull's interest, but it's a bull that's chasing a cow. And you can do this by yourself. Um, so like, you know, you bugle, you use the cow to bull call. Um, then you use like the cow call and then you run. And and one's chasing and there's no being quiet because it's, you know, there's 1,400 pounds of stuff running through the bush. The bull will stop and rake a tree, you know biggest log you can find most branches you can break busting and snapping logs and um sometimes the bulls do this thing where they um they get super excited and they run back and forth sort of like a horse right like it'll be like they'll be like bum, 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 bum. and then they're and then they got to come back to where they started it's like bum, 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 bum. so you get like a big log and then you just beat the ground with that to try to create that that ground thunder um and it sounds fun it's, to me. Yeah. It's exhausting though. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little, yeah, I love that. It's like a, a little more. But the single hardest thing about that tactic with elk, which a couple of years ago I did the whole thing by myself, beginning of bow season, up in the high country, and the bull came back 
because I kind of bumped them and they moved into the forest. And so I ran this scenario and then here he is coming back. I could hear him coming then I could see the antlers coming through the tree. And then it's like, well, I got to like find somewhere to get a bit of cover and get ready. And then everything goes dead quiet. And so this bull's coming along and he stops kind of like in the trees and he's looking, you know, in this little wee opening and he goes like, okay, where's, where's these other animals? Like, I know there's at least a couple here and it's dead silent. And I actually had the bull come out and he was, I was by like an alder bush and he was on the other side of it. And he had his head laid back and his eyes rolled back and they've got this big white eyeball like between the leaves, like on the other side of the tree from me. And it's like, I couldn't make a sound because then he'd, he'd like know I was right there. But it totally blew the whole setup because the bull got weirded out. He's just like, you know, and if he stepped out into the opening and he didn't know where, he didn't make eyesight of this other bull, he could get like, like a dozen tines driving, driven through his rib cage, you know, just blindside him out of the, so he finally just got weirded off and, and left. But that was a downfall of, of elk hunting anyways by yourself is a, at some point you got to stop and pick your weapon up and yeah i've had really good luck rattling uh the deer i don't have tremendous experience with this obviously uh this being my second season but i've done a couple in each season and uh one thing that i was surprised at is how much time they give me and i'm for reasons i don't wear camo and so i'm i'm just a dude with like out there and when my buck came in this year i didn't even have my rifle in my hands i had to bend down and pick it up and, <laughs> and he, he and he gave me all the time and the first buck that morning that I rattled in, I could like he was at 25 yards, and I paced it out after, and he just didn't care. He he sat there for probably 10, 15 minutes, and then moved over a bit to try and kind of figure me out, and couldn't figure me out. And so um, yeah, I don't know what it is. I've had I, I guess I've just had some good luck on that front, but uh, but I don't I don't disagree with you that uh, they're not gonna they're not gonna put well generally the bigger guys I imagine are not gonna push in too close to you without uh, scoping you out first, and that's yeah. back to the. Uh, I'm curious how many bucks I've rattled in that I, that I, uh, that I haven't seen because I'm going to guess it's a few. Yeah. Well, that one that Curtis got, it was just all of a sudden like there it was standing yep. there looking at us and it was like it had to have come from some distance and yep. other than Coming one little quick. crack, it was just all of a sudden like, whoa, there's like a buck standing there looking at us like almost caught us with our pants down because we were trying to have lunch. And, uh, yeah. so I can totally appreciate how one might come in. I would say twice my rattling sessions lasted all of like a half hour where the, mm. like you just move into position, rattle and boof, there's a buck. Mm. So it's, I can't believe that it can, you can do that, but you can, which is really yeah. cool. Well, and we John, have the, hip. well, I was going to Go say, ahead, we got, we got the, we got the curse too, anywhere that you got, which is pretty much everywhere in North America where you have squirrels. And you'll sit there and you'll rattle and then you'll put it down and you'll be listening and you'll hear the like, was, was that a buck or was that a squirrel that just dropped a pine cone? And then you hear like the scurrying, you're like, okay, that was a squirrel. And then you hear another noise. You're like, was that a squirrel over there? And so it's like, were they squirrels when you heard that noise or was that actually a buck that was coming in? And it's, it's. I love mm -hmm. that game. And I only mm -hmm. ever assume it's Squirrel a big game buck. animal when I hear that big crack, that undeniable, mm. I won't tell John, oh, I think I heard one, 
unless it's like you know like something like that that would take a two three hundred pound animal to Mm -hmm. make to make that noise yeah Um, but they can sure come in quiet yeah yep yep i've had well even this year i not necessarily rattling but i've had animals come into me within 20 yards that i had no clue were there till i saw them so it's pretty interesting to no totally those big animals can move that quiet even moose i've had had that happen I rattled in a moose this year. I forgot about that. Oh, wow. That's got to count, Jeez. right, Kev? It, it counts, yeah. That's on your scoreboard for sure. Absolutely. I'm taking I, it. I know what you mean about a moose. I think a couple of years ago, I think it was spring bear hunting. And uh-huh. I was standing looking across a little creek kind of in a forested area where it was, you know, it might be a kind of a bear poking poking through there. And I turned around and there was a moose standing behind me. Oh, no Like way. literally like, like six feet. And oh, it kind of went... It went, whoa, and I went, whoa. <laughs> wow. But it was coming along this up the same trail that I walked on mm-hmm. and just turned around and, yeah. <laughs> um, John, in your experience, um, rattling out of a tree stand, does it make a difference, like, that the height that that sound's coming from? Is that anything you've ever experienced where they're... No, I don't think so. Not... No, I, I okay. wouldn't say so, Mark, No. I mean, um, one of the things that I always talk about when I'm rattling is uh, you start out low and slow just in case there is that buck, you know, 60 yards out or 70 yards Mm -hmm. out that you just don't see because if you just take your antlers and just thrash them together right off the hop and that buck is 50 yards out, you'll you'll blow them up, right? Um, Mm, Scare the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for the most part, when I'm rattling, I'm rattling in a buck that, several hundred yards out so yeah no i don't i don't think it makes a difference I've, okay i've had them come right in to the base of my tree well as my buck did this year but i hadn't rattled them in but yeah he was right at the base of my tree snipping my boot prints of the tree so yeah no hmm. no doesn't seem to matter doesn't seem to matter well yeah. that's 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 good that's good to know now, one of the other things I wanted to get you guys to talk a little bit, because, I mean, you probably know outside of, you know, your circle and certainly our beliefs as well, harvesting antlerless white-tailed deer seems to be a controversial subject. It seems to bother a lot of hunters. Um, but you guys are just as excited and proud of meets meat and the opportunities there, the populations there, you take does, ponds, everything. Yeah, I'll go so far as to say that I avoided um, rutting male any species as a as a rule when I started hunting for almost, I would say, 10 years or 12 years. So I had no interest in shooting a buck. It took a lot of time to figure out how to culinarily approach them. And much like we all like to approach the outdoors differently we all tend to like different flavors in our food and i tend to like kind of lighter more delicate flavors so for me a, f- uh, a young deer a year and a half old uh whitetail has always been the like the primo that's what my fam- me and my family want to eat if you're going to put whitetail in front of me i would prefer to eat that um, but I agree with you. I've been in places where, and communities where if you're, uh, if you're hunting does, like, don't tell anyone. It's <laughs> like that. 
And I, I just have never had any patience for that crap. Mm. Um, no, I'm the same You way. do you. Like, if you want to hunt, uh, whatever. You hunt whatever you want. The most hate I ever got in From the Wild uh, was not for hunting black bears. It was not for hunting anything but a whitetail fawn. Someone got right up in my face that we would shoot a fawn. Um, fawns are amazing as far as a food outcome. There's lots of food there. Uh, if you don't need a lot of food, it's uh, sufficient. Uh, anyway, I, I could go on a mega rant about why a fawn is an amazing food outcome, but it shocks me that uh, in the world of agriculture that the default condition is that we take young animals. That's how we raise them. That's That's it. And then you do that in a wild scenario and it gets people really irritated for some reason. Um, and I, I just don't understand. Yeah. Uh, I a, can't chicken is, a chicken is six weeks old. A pig is yeah. six months old at most. A cow is, what, 16 months? Um, yeah. And yeah, then you shoot is... a 16-month-old uh, deer and people yeah. get freaked out. I, I have no idea what that's about. And those are the animals that are supposed to die. You know, yeah, from a conservation that's... standpoint, that's the animals that get picked off and it, it's the same as rate. the same as yeah. trapping yeah like i mean we're you're simply capturing some of the natural mortality you're mimicking some of the natural mortality and when you have these young animals like 50 60 percent of them regardless of whether we hunt them or not don't make it to their first birthday and you harvest it it's like if you don't it probably has a pretty good chance it wasn't going to be there in april um I would also say it depends on where you are too. I mean, and what your goal is for that property. If you're in an area that's heavily hunted and a lot of pressure and your goal is to sustain populations and and increase the op hunt opportunities for people because there's just that many hunters, well then yeah, maybe there's a point to be made for not harvesting those reproducing animals, right? Um, you know, but I, to touch on your point without bashing anybody because like kevin said you do you is uh that's the negative sort of thing that i see about some of these um mainstream hunting activities uh i see the other controversy out there right now is the comment well it's it's not you know they post something on the internet and the default comment is well he, i know he's not the biggest buck but you know and and then you know people sort of you know like, why did you kill it then? Like, <laughs> you obviously are proud of that animal. You wanted to pull the trigger or pull the bow back on that animal, and you did. So what's the problem? Like, why why are you instantly defaulting to uh, a position of, you know, well, I guess I had to kill this animal, or I'm not very proud of this animal, you know? Yeah, it's yeah, definitely that, a negative aspect of it for sure. That that is that is strange for for sure. I um, mean, you asked about my goals and some of my strategies for whitetail hunting. I mean, that's one of them. Is I you know we're empty nesters, and my wife is mostly vegetarian and and certainly doesn't enjoy eating game meat. So it's just me. Um, mm. And so if I can harvest a fawn, which is the ultimate food outcome, it's not a lot of meat. And, so it's something I can handle uh, myself. And then, um, you know, if I happen to harvest a buck later on, which isn't probably not going to happen every year, then, you know, I can worry about that later. And like we have, Kevin and I have all sorts of friends that will take wild game if we want to disperse it. And you know, Kevin and Jeff both pile through the wild game, right? So there's always opportunities to 
nothing ever goes to waste, I guess is my point. Yeah. On my, yeah. on my take on it is uh, one of the places I get the most grief for sh shooting does again, which is, I just don't, uh, I can't relate is in one of the wildlife management units uh, where chronic wasting disease is a particular problem and the biologists are trying to get does out of there to the extent that they gave me two tags for my one this year. Mm. So there's kind of like the, oh, we got to save the population uh, mentality in places where it's like, no, actually, we need to get some of those deer out of there. And I will always trust the biologists. And I grew up in a culture that was very anti-biologist. Like, they don't know what they're doing. The government's got it wrong and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's yeah. pretty common. And the, the biologists are making these decisions for, for actual science reasons. And sometimes they're handcuffed with budget and resources, or always handcuffed with budget and resources. I get that. So they, their job, their, the outcomes aren't always perfect. But my point is is that if, I, if I'm able to get six tags as a hunter in Alberta for mule deer and white-tailed deer, and I, want, and I want to and I do, my family can eat that many, not all of them will be bucks. There would be one, maybe two of those that would be buck tags and the rest are antlerless. And I truly, when it hits the dinner table, I don't care. And if, and like John said, am I impacting, how am I impacting the resource in the boreal forest that's like 300,000 square kilometers of whitetails uh, by pulling out a doe? Like, I don't think that is impacting that resource mm -hmm. at all, actually. Mm -hmm. the, uh, one hard winter would have way more impact than all of us hunters combined on that resource up in the boreal yeah, forest. Oh, absolutely. So, so to me, the, I don't know, I just don't get it. Uh, like John said, I, I, I can see if you had a small population on a highly managed property, I, okay, cool, good, uh, do that, manage that population. And from what I've read, that's definitely a thing. Uh, but we don't live in that place, and th that's not our reality. Where we hunt in the south, they're trying to get deer out of there. And where we hunt in the north, we're just, you couldn't make a dent if you tried, because there's just too much forest. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. seems to be a bit no, of a difference, uh... too, in, um, in attitudes towards what we're talking about in uh, the little communities with regards to what weapon of choice you have. Like I know in traditional archery, traditional bow hunting, there's none of that at all. There's like if you shoot anything with a recurve or a longbow, that is your trophy, and I don't oh. see any issue at all. Um, I don't know, maybe Kevin, like in rifle hunting communities, it seems to be less pressure in that regard, too. Like, I see lots of people killing does and fawns with their rifles that I don't think they get a lot of heat, but yet, it with compound bow groups and uh, communities, I think there's a little more of that. But I could be wrong, but that's kind of my outside observation of it. So I, I don't know yeah, what that. No, I would, I would kind of agree a little bit with that. And, um, it, I mean, I think part of the thing is, is I really admire that you guys, like, are just completely open and honest about what you're harvesting and why. And like, it doesn't matter if it's got antlers on its head, it's this beautiful meat and you do these wonderful uh, things with it that are just, you know, spectacular and stuff. And, and I just think, you know, it's, it's so inspiring and I want more people to watch your shows and see that. And it's like, it, it's normal and it's fine. And Curtis have I have, and I have done, you know, lots of episodes on this and stuff and just really encourage like new hunters. Like, I mean, one of the biggest things about staying in this is like, is putting in the effort, 
but you got to have some su- success and otherwise you're going to be like, man, eight years and they haven't got anything. And it's like, use those opportunities. You know, you're, you're probably going to see more does and whitetails in a day than you're going to see bucks. So it's like, if you can, um, try hunting some small game, like, you know, and, and I've always advocated for anybody. It's like, if you have the chance, it's a great opportunity and kind of like, don't worry about that rhetoric. And I I had a young fellow from Nova Scotia that was just trying to learn hunting on his own. He, he writes, writes in quite a bit and stuff. And, and we'd been talking about this very topic about, you know, like it's okay to harvest, harvest does. And it was just like, he wrote in and just kind of felt like this huge relief you know, to hear that from other hunters, it's like, yes, go ahead. To me, it's easy to understand where that's coming from because we have, uh, we just the collective, we have perpetuated the, um, if you, I don't know, just perpetuated the want to shoot a bigger animal and that's okay. That's cool. But there's, uh, there's just not a lot of shows like you've said that we're talking about, uh, yeah, but what about what about that doe and that fawn and that ruffed grouse and that other that mushroom and stuff? And so that that is where we've kind of, you know, dove in, dove into, um, and I would say it's because it was easy wins. We had a very limited production calendar, and mm. always kind of have. Uh, when my kids were a lot smaller, when uh, we started from the wild, so we only had three days in the field to like find something, make it dead, butcher it and cook it and be in the field and do all the things of camping and all that stuff that needs to get done. Uh, so we kind of also didn't care. It's like that buck over there is meat and that doe over there is meat and that bird over there is meat. And is there a fish around? We literally do that. Like that's totally normal for us. Is there fruit to pick? It's all, it's all food and it's all fine. Um, and I wish that message was getting out there more too. So I'm glad you're talking about it. I'm glad people are, are engaged with you on that topic. Um, I hope that we're able to continue that messaging, uh, m- you know, moving forward. I think the challenge for us is that we've always been so such staunch advocates of that, that it's a bit confusing, I think, right now for people following the series that we are chasing bigger animals now. Like, what? Weren't you guys like the, the non-trophy dudes that were cooking all that fancy food stuff? Um, but it's, it, uh, one, we figured out how to cook them properly. Uh, mm-hmm. over the mm-hmm. years and then uh, with, through dry aging and just different cookery techniques with stuff like neck meat which you're all very aware of and then um, uh, and then just kind of I don't know there for me uh, I was harvesting white tail on the regular I shoot a lot of deer every year and it just became kind of an interesting uh, layer of difficulty level on my white tail hunting that I was doing so it's kind of a I don't know it's a it's a fun strategy game I guess which sounds bad but um but the that's that's really appealing to me as my i be, i evolve from a novice hunter to a more experienced hunter it's it becomes interesting to go after more difficult uh prey i guess i can even mm-hmm. i can build on kevin's point and it's something that we discovered together is like what is your food outcome uh desire and so if you want to uh, alafacel an entire deer leg well, you're obviously not going to do that with my buck or Kevin's buck because that's that's going to feed a Viking army. But you can do it with a fawn leg, right? And conversely, 
if you want to eat steak sandwiches from flat irons, well, you're not going to get that cut from a fawn because it's going to be the size of a perch fillet. Um, as opposed to a big buck, you're going to actually have some of those flat iron steaks. And, you know, and, and Kevin alluded to the neck meat. Uh, it's my favorite cut of mm. venison now that Kevin has taught me and, and shared with me how to cook this food ingredient. And again, my fawn neck, I ended up just chopping, like making into chops. So, you know, I've got like two pounds of neck from that fawn, but we had 16 pounds of boned out neck meat from my buck. And I think Kevin's was even bigger than that. So oh, wow. you can even just break it down and into what do you want to eat? I love that uh, phrase, food outcome. Yeah, I really, really like to champion that more and get um, myself and others thinking about that in, in the terms of your, of your hunting goals is the, is the food outcome. Um, and, and, and then it's like, what, what fills that? Right. So um, well, it's just that's, as hard. A, that's a I, really sorry, cool. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, sorry, I, I didn't, just, didn't mean to cut it's a bumper off. sticker. <laughs> there is a, and it's, it's almost just as hard to, you know, like if I'm trying to target a fawn as I will every year, that those are, those encounters are almost as rare as it is to try to kill a big buck, right? They just don't happen as, especially bow hunting. Um, you know, I can think back on all the times I've had a fawn under 20 yards versus all the times I've had a buck under 20 yards. And I'd say it's you probably You can't about, rattle in a fawn. Yeah, it's about the same. Yeah. <laughs> if not a little more on the buck side. So yeah, it's still a yeah. challenging I think, outcome. I agree, John. And I, I think that uh, it's a bit sad that, that the idea that hunting for a food outcome should be the principal objective and that you should give some thought to kind of what you might want to cook with that, how much volume, how many pounds of meat you might need, that that's an innovative way to approach the thinking of, about hunting is kind of a bummer. And that's not to say that lots of people don't think about this. There's lots of people who know I, I can eat a, a side of elk a year or whatever. There's lots of, I'm not saying that nobody thinks about this, but the fact that we are in this community or having that conversation that hmm, this is something we need to think about a bit more than other things is, yeah, it's just, a, it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I think of black bears in the term of food outcome. Um, like I'm, from a food outcome black bear perspective, I am more interested in kind of the, like the four and a half to the five and a half foot bears, mm -hmm. as opposed to like the six and a half, seven footers, right? Like I'm just kind of, they're a bit more sinewy and, you know, it's a little more challenging. You, you can cook differently, but the things that I do want to cook with my bear meat it's better off to be a smaller medium-sized bear than a tank. <laughs> so I feel yeah. that way about, to be clear, I feel that way about whitetail. If I had to choose one, if I had to shoot one deer a year, it would be a year and a half old whitetail deer. Yeah. And that would be what I would harvest every year if that was all I could do. Yeah. Huh, that's my, cool. that's the, the best food, in my opinion. Ah, you just got to grind all of it up into sausage. Yeah, I'm with you, yeah. Curtis. So I want to shoot <laughs> yeah. those big tanks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 120 yeah, pounds um, of sausage this year. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are lucky because if Jeff's making your sausage and stuff, you know how authentic it is. Or if, mm -hmm. if you're doing it yourself, I always get a kick out of people that are like, 
I'll have some of my mule deer sausage I got back from the butcher and it's probably like, yeah, it's got some of your mule deer and some of his elk and some of his deer and some of like it's on this topic. <laughs> uh, one of the new projects for me this year is, uh, our, at our base camp where we do some teaching about field cookery and mixology and stuff. Uh, I've, I've put out a, a big game cookery full day intensive workshop with a chef wow. and myself teaching people how to actually cook a big game animal uh, or how we would approach it. Um, and that so far has been popular. We just, just released it and I suspect those will be sold out this year, but it's a pretty awesome. important topic, both the butchery of, which we also want to teach, but it's harder to, harder to make that happen because you need a carcass and there's lots of regulatory problems there. But as far as learning to cook big game, I thought that's something that's a kind of a low hanging fruit that I was going to, you know, at least jump in and help people understand a bit better on the ground. No, absolutely. That's, that's great. That's great. People... People nowadays seem to eat that up, right? Like learning about <laughs> about butchery and cooking. So I mean, it's well, yeah, and I think that there's a lot of people that I I would challenge you to find a singular hunter, including myself, who you could find that would be like, no, I'm gonna know exactly what I want to do with that game animal, and I get it right every time, and I never want to try anything else. Like, mm, no, most people would would tr probably want to up their game or. They get handed packs of wild game from relatives that hunt every year, and and they don't really know what to do with it, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of people that kind of fit in that category. It's not just the people like me, but yeah, no. no. And yeah. again, you know that food outcome thing can expand to um, to even while you're butchering. I know that Kevin and I have a little habit now where we are riffing on what we would do with this cut of meat as we're butchering it, and then we'll make that little note on the butcher paper because you know you might forget six or three months from right. now when you pull it out of the freezer what? i love that so my i've got a oh, package cool. in my freezer right now and it's kevin's idea but i s totally stole it and it is uh whitetail neck taco meat oh yeah uh, from the sternocephalic uh, muscle yeah. so yeah. you know so little things oh, that's like very that very cool you know and um yeah and then the other thing too is just riffing on cooking you know so we were talking about a buck neck because we were dismantling the front end of my buck the other day and it was like well okay so you're gonna braise all of this meat for the most part except for well you're all the neck you're gonna braise yeah. but what different like every culture in the world has braised meat dishes so now you can explore ethiopian and african you can explore middle eastern you can explore oriental like there's Asian, like you know, so it's just fun to riff on stuff like that, even as you're butchering, for sure. There's... We'll be doing more of that. I mean, that's one of the mm -hmm. things that I've actually been doing some pre-production for season nine. Um, just starting to get into post on season eight, and just finished season seven. Actually, the, the last episode will go out tomorrow. Um, but the international flavors thing. I mean, I grew up eating game meats cooked in a very kind of Mm, I'm going to say almost Korean kind of style. Um, mm. And that like we ate it every week like that. And that was pretty normal for me. Um, and then the more I cook with game meat, the more I realize that it really does play nice with a lot of the flavors from around the planet, almost more so than kind of the European kind of style that, that we might default to. So I'm this year I'm going to Morocco and Vietnam. I don't mean the countries. I mean, just like cookery wise. Um, mm and bringing and going all those directions because they're delicious and mm. you pull that stuff out in camp and we've been doing a lot more season eight you'll see one of the themes is 
and it's going to be more in season nine too. Uh, kind of prepped meals where even on butcher days I've when I butchered my dough this year I didn't even freeze the shoulders I just braised them that day one of them went completely into a Hungarian pork holt and one of them went completely into a, a, an Ethiopian bear bear and like uh, made deli cups in my freezer full of this prepped stuff so when when John and I were uh, you know in doing late season whitetail rattling we were just eating amazing food every day from <laughs> just stuff we'd put up before uh, so kind of Very like fun. the yeah, kind of like, you know, I don't know, it's not an innovative idea. It's just something that we've started to actually apply. And holy cow, do you, one, enjoy the animal more uh, when you kind of take it all kinds of directions and eat it a whole bunch of different ways. But I find we actually go through it a lot more, too, when it's not just like, oh, okay, there's a piece of grilled venison again, uh, which I like, and we still eat that way. But, um, but yeah, you could just take it, you could take it all over the place. And John, mm. I've got ideas. That's stuff. Bring it. Stuff. That's that's so, fantastic, and it's fun to have somebody like Kevin in your life too, because um, I'm competitive in nature. So um, I want to feed Kevin food where he goes, "Oh, dude, you knocked it out of the park!" Right? So, like the other day, the other <laughs> is that day, a little foreshadowing to tomorrow's yeah. episode? John? Oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we tomorrow. had a donaire competition. Yeah, that's right. Okay, cool. It's yeah, released tomorrow. Um, yeah. From the wild.ca. That's where people get that show from, right, Kev? Yeah, that all the seasons are linked through there. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, oh, it's cool. fun to try to sort of outdo each other, which is more of a challenge for me than it is for Kevin. I get that, but um, it, uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, challenge each other with different dishes that you can do ahead of time and try to impress your buddies in hunt camp is definitely a theme that we're working on lately. Cool goals. Yeah, Sporting absolutely. To set goals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and 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 one of the things that I think st 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 uh, poked me in the head when you talked about process and goals and stuff, uh, I'm I'm a bit of an outlier in that a lot of my goals are camp related and uh, really winning at um, creating a camp environment uh, like with food, uh, but also um, just general comfort level and happiness and having a great time. Uh, that's that's really really important to me i really like camping i know there's lots of people who don't and i i understand that's fine we're all different uh but i do and so the camping experience for me we can have a killer camp and have especially in spring when the bear hunting maybe they're not quite out yet it's not connecting we just crushed it with food and had a, had an amazing time both culinarily and just having fun making gin and, and, you know, getting eating snowshoe hairs and just doing other stuff uh, that's super, super engaging and fun. Um, so that camping experience, I guess, is, is my point is that that's part of my process is making the camping experience so enjoyable that being mm. in the field isn't difficult. In fact, you're going to want to be in. I was bummed when I ended my season and shot my buck because I had plans you to were. be putting in the week after. Yeah. Like, <laughs> darn it. I had like, I had three put-ins planned for November and I, I shot it on my first one. So it kind of scratched two camping trips for me, which is a bit of a downer. So anyway, that's just kind of how I'm built. But I would, I would advocate for people on that getting excited about food thing that, that, you know, it really does amp up your camp life when you're making mm -hmm. custom cocktails and you're making your, every meal. is just something really neat and exciting. And, and because hunting is something that we get really jazzed about, I think that's fair to say about any hunter, no matter how, what camp you're in of hunting, uh, everyone's really pumped about it. And really, it means a lot to us. 
So it, we take the time to make that take that extra little step with our friends and our family to go. I'm gonna bring that really nice, like you, John, made limoncello and brought it into camp, or or whatever. Uh, you're gonna make the extra effort, or Jeff's pronghorn hot dogs, or or whatever. Yeah. So um, I I love that. It's kind of like to me, I'm I'm appreciating that and valuing that. People will take the time, take the little extra effort, and if you can make camp amazing, then then your hunt outcome is like, well, one, you're more likely to kill something because you're gonna to want to stay there longer, and two, um, it just kind of makes it a bonus instead yeah. of necessary to have a successful hunting trip. Yeah, no, I I totally get that, and you guys know too. Like it's like your your state of mind starts in camp. And, and if you, if you take that positiveness and that fun and that at peace with you out in the field to hunt, sometimes it just seems like things come together better. Oh yeah. But yeah. if you don't have that positive vibe, it just seems like Murphy and his law is out there. And if they can do anything to like make you hate what you're doing or poke you in the eye with a stick or not see any animals or everything like you the wind's wrong or whatever it's just like and and I just always find that so attitude related as much as it is you know tactics and wind and calling and all that kind of stuff there's just this huge like how's your mindset the universe is like yeah he's in the right mindset he's got this beautiful camp life and stuff so it's like we're we're gonna like make him have a good time when he and and it's like that some bitch is gonna have the worst day hunting ever because he's just <laughs> sour and it's yeah, like i've funny. been both those people a lot yep. you know out there and i'm just kind of like man you know it's 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 not the october lull it's not the wind it's nothing it's just this energy i'm blowing off on here it's me and and sometimes i find that that positive energy comes i i've had lots of days out there where you're just you're cold you're frustrated whatever and you sit down and you're like okay i'm gonna take five i'm gonna have a sandwich just gonna pour myself a coffee and chill out and you get your pack all pulled apart and you take a couple bites of your sandwich and you take a sip of coffee and you're like ah, oh, i'm feeling a lot better and then you look over and you're like ah oh, shit there's a buck right there yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like i'm yeah. not even ready yeah. or, uh, well, i agree with that if, you guys for sure if you it's want nice if you want to get ducks to come into your set pour a coffee yeah there you go yeah <laughs> yeah well i mean at that last camp kevin what were some of the things we ate we had a grazed partridge uh pasta in a mushroom cream sauce we had pumpkin pie two nights I, um, that i only got an eight out of ten on which still bugs me to this day it's beyond so, yeah. the scope of this discussion uh and oh, then what else we had uh, bear bear Tough we crowd. had uh what else did we have, Kevin? I mean, gosh, we ate well. So. I don't know. I mean, the, the, that particular camp was crazy because I ended up, um, I had to do some work in Hungary uh, filming oh, the winemaker there. Yeah. And so I actually went, like, I actually filmed part of the episode in Budapest and in the Tokai region of Hungary to go collect paprika that I brought back and then made <laughs> a Hungarian dish with the white-tailed doe I'd shot the trip before uh, for the episode. So, yeah, I mean, we go we're kind of crazies. I get that. Like we're, we're deep end. Um, but it's so fun. And if, if you like cooking and you like food, most people like to eat good food, then it's not hard to be inspired to want to eat good food every meal. And I think John, that's maybe the innovation in the last few years is it used to kind of be the series used to be kind of like, 
let's hang out in the bush and go hunting or fishing. And then at the end, let's try and think of something cool that kind of speaks to our adventure here and our adventures outside. Uh, and that's cool. That's great. And I still, we still do that. But I think what it's evolved to is, yo, we got to eat like three times a day. <laughs> and we're going to be here for three days. So we've got nine meals that can be pretty darn cool. So what? Are, that's a lot of opportunities to, to feed our friends some of our favorite stuff we've worked on in a few months and to eat some of their delicious food. And everyone has a different cooking style. Guarantee you in your hunting camp, if you all let each other cook for each, each other, that's all going to taste pretty different, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. So I, I like eating other people's food and I like feeding people. So anyway, food, I, I guess it's, it's uh, apparent that food is... Um, a pretty pretty exciting thing in my world so uh mm-hmm. it, it it is the it is the difference between um or it has uh, been the difference for us in leveling up our camp year after year after year is getting even just better and better and better and better at mm. uh at eating out out there uh and living no, out there in cool. general but eating out there and, and that cool. extends even to the cutlery cutlery and glassware and you know like like i think Curtis, you were saying, and Mark, you were kind of alluding to that comfort zone that you might achieve in camp. Well, I mean, you know, we'll bring like a crystal goblet that we, grandma's crystal goblet. Yeah, and we've got antique from, silver. Yeah. You know, and yeah. copper. Yeah. And really all those things. great coffee that we build in the morning and different things like that. It's just that level of comfort that comes from being deep in the boreal forest and being dirty and cold, but having a really amazing meal on silver. Mm. And John, can can we share with everyone what the single most luxurious item in the morning is that we, other than coffee, uh, that has persisted for years in camp? Does oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. This was Kevin's innovation. Go ahead, Kev. Oh well, um, it's as simple as for when you're Jeff's putting innovation. on coffee. It was his idea. I executed for the last yeah, half decade. It was a brilliant idea. Uh, your kettle's on in the morning. All you have to remember to bring is a bag full of face cloths and then you get a little silver plate and you put the face cloth rolled up and you pour some boiling water on it and you hand it to your friend in the morning and that hot towel morning wash up i guarantee you it's going to be one of the best things that you've ever experienced in hunting camp especially you can skip it on day two like the first morning you can just forget it because it, it, it's not quite as valuable as day three yeah it doesn't day kick four, in until like, day three whew. That's like first class on the on the airlines when they get. Do you use the little tongs? No, we don't have tongs, but it's a great idea. Okay, you can up up the game. I'll credit you. You you can elevate it. Yeah. But no joke, that is in my wall tent. There's (laughs) there's one bag in my wall tent bag. Well, one's a repair kit, but the other bag is uh is just uh, face cloths. Oh, cool. Yeah. So if if you're Sasquatch or, or. you know, an animal outside the tent in the morning in the dark, you're just going to hear this, oh, you know, as we... Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That is on sound. Our face. Yeah. It's like jumping into a hot shower. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh that's hilarious. That's hilarious. Um, hey, I want to shift gears here for a little bit uh, on topics because I really want to get your guys' thoughts on these. So, because you're, you're, you're both heavily embedded into this world of hunting and exploring food and connecting to place, but you're putting it out there, just like we're doing it right now. We're putting it out there. We're entertaining people or educating people or inspiring people um, or educating ourselves, inspiring ourselves, all of that 
in in this process as well so you know social media and hunting it's like so controversial um nowadays like it's like well why are you doing that because then it just makes people look bad and um you know there's even just a whole thought that it's just like everybody should just get off of social media and and just like go do your life and and not have to like share it right uh, and and offend somebody and and whatnot and 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 even just kind of layered into that a little bit is like just all this controversy like about the platforms that we use you know instagram twitter's facebook you know all of these things they're doing stuff that's like not good you know they're 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 using our personal information and the information of the people we're connecting with and they're selling it and um you know i recently just watched a video of um uh rich and sandra mellon that do trappers inc and like they're on season seven eight or nine or whatever you know like that as well really successful like showing people life on the trap line and youtube froze their account said we no longer think that this is this is appropriate and like that's how they were making their living so um let's dig into that a little bit and i want to see what your guys's thoughts are um the central question is is why do we do this why are we sharing this with people go ahead kevin i can see you moved up in your seat i'm going to have different reasons than other people um because i would say that our entire path in from the wild has been was uh, driven by the fact that we were already in the food industry in some way, shape, or form. Everybody in the series uh, is somehow produced food, uh, grows their own food, uh, was a restauranter, or in the food industry somehow. So um, I wasn't a hunter that wanted to share my hunting stories. It was more about food people trying to explore this space to find what was possible uh or what the i've used the words a lot the culinary potential of the wilderness was um so so i would say that i don't come from a normal perspective that way uh, as a hunter secondly i think i've always liked to share stories and i think humans do um but way back to when i was a kid and we'd get back from picking mushrooms i'd want to tear into the house to tell grandpa and grandma what we found mm -hmm. from that to I played in a rock band for a lot of years as a young man and uh, just was always doing creative projects to tell stories and, and share and connect with people. So I don't think I'm unique in that way. Um, now, regarding the pushback uh, thing, that really bugged me uh, in my 30s. And uh, I that's one of the main reasons I stayed behind a paywall. And did not put the series on YouTube because we were showing stuff that would have been axed right away because <laughs> we were showing stuff that was just not not acceptable by a broadcast broadcaster would never air it. And that yeah. was kind of the, there was something appealing in that uh, in like, why? Why is this not OK to show this? This is how this is. This is the process. Why do we have to censor this? There's a cultural fail here. And I think poking at those cultural fails to me has been interesting not to be a jerk but more to just be better and do better at how we do this stuff. Mm. And then um, in my 40s, now I just don't give a crap. 
if people are going to have a, a problem with what I'm up to, uh, I'm trying to be a nice supportive guy. Like I'm going to do me over here. And if you want to get up in my face, like, I guess go ahead, but then go away. I'm just mm-hmm. really not interested in, in the negativity. I just don't really want to be to play there. So, um, I'm not paranoid of platform, uh, problems. That's just, I mean, when I was in music, it was big, bad record companies. And it was, it's always, there's always somebody that's looking to take advantage of people who are creating content. That's not new. Art is creating stuff and people exploiting that. Ooh, that's (laughs) that's an old story. That's an old story arc. Um, so yeah, I guess that's, that's it. That's my answer. Um, it's a bit of a layered one, but, um, that's me. Yeah, um, John. I, I, some, it would be different for me, I guess. Um, a lot. The storytelling, for sure, is part of it. But as I am older now, I find that I am getting asked more and more questions. As are you, Mark and Curtis, and I'm sure Kevin does all the time too. But as we, so let me expand this. As we get older, um, we are asked for our advice more and more, and I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of you know really focusing my attention on the people that are adult onset hunters or young hunters or whatever it might be just by sharing things that um you know other younger hunters i want to say or more mainstream type hunters wouldn't be willing to to share um it's that pride of uh here's another way of looking at it that we've already discussed earlier in this show so Amen. That's, that's a big one, John. Yeah, right. It's like it's like it's like being a, a musical artist, a band, or whatever. To go back to that. Yeah. And we just have a different voice in yeah, yeah, this yeah. space. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the other, there's lots of other voices that get a lot of time, uh, air time and creative time and broadcast time and all that. Uh, we're just a different one, and so it's it's nice to to feel like you, there's a space to have that voice. Um, and so it's, I mean, John creates a podcast, um, that people can really feel his take and who he is and what what he values. Um, and like you said, you can, you can kind of feel that it's different and unique. And, uh, and I think the same, I'm pretty confident the same could be said for from the wild as far as just, just a different, unique voice in the space. Mm -hmm. So that, like John said, you have somebody who's new or who wants to learn more, but they're kind of not connecting with some of the other voices in this in this space uh, at least we're there going hey if you need to this is what we're doing uh so th- i hope that helps because yeah. um we're going to be over here doing it anyway <laughs> yeah. another oh and one big huge motivator sorry john i should have let you keep going but we talk about it all the time is uh the actual simple documentation of our lives yep. is really important uh, to us so from the wild for years we've talked about this that I don't care if one person watches this. The person I care that watches this is 80-year-old Kevin. When I can't go, that day I can't get in the bush again, but I can watch all of my hunting adventures for 20, 30, 40 years. Or my kids who can watch younger dad doing the thing when he was in his 30s uh, or whatever uh, is is so much more valuable than than another purchase or than a bigger buck. That's so much more valuable that that it's uh, it's become a heavy underlying theme, and we talk about mm. it. We mention it almost like like every year that this is like this is why we're here is to yeah. document this for ourselves. And yeah, we're sharing it, but that's almost because the sharing of it facilitates the documenting of it for ourselves. Yeah, interesting. Absolutely. 
as far as the owning of the material, I, I have really focused on that in recent weeks as Kevin has his entire career in exactly what you had said, Mark, about how when you put your stuff out there on Instagram or Facebook, it isn't yours. Um, and it could be taken away at any time. So I've focused now on my website and I really want to go back to that sort of sharing and I'll probably fail at it because it's just it's it's going backwards I suppose but um, I want to try at least anyways to redirect people to content that I want to produce and that I'm paying for the internet space to put it on and so the only person that will ever be able to take that down is me and so that's the way I'm sort of going to try to go around interesting that. yeah hmm. You know, like my podcast for season four is about to go behind a paywall as well. And again, I thought long and hard about that. How do I do this Patreon and, and other formats? And I thought, you know, no, um, I'm just going to treat it like music. So that's interesting that Kevin brought that up. Uh, I'm going to make a podcast. It's going to be my piece of art that I'm going to offer for sale for a very low amount of money. And if one person buys it, well, then great. That's one more person that is buying it right now. And my, I don't have delusions of grandeur that I'm going to be Joe Rogan. Um, it's just here's, um, you know, I'll still create some free stuff as well um, and put it on the same platforms just to try to maintain that level of, of what, what's the presence, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah, trying to own more of my stuff, that's a goal for sure. Okay. Okay. No, that's those, those are, those are definitely, yeah, very cool, cool perspectives. Do, do you guys think like inside, do you feel like part of your character is, is that of a teacher? Um, like you're, you're wanting like to, to show people things in a way that they can learn from it going, Oh, well, that's how that's done. Or I never would have thought of like, you know, doing a campfire in a steel tube as opposed to a hole in the ground. Like, do you, do you ever think about that, that you're kind of like explaining things and transferring some knowledge because you've learned this stuff, you know, throughout your life. I'm going to answer Do you think this about first. it in that sense that you're yeah, teaching a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't. So I'm really okay. curious what Kevin will say to that. I look at it. So my thing is I never do how to videos or how to posts or how to, I do how we, or how I am. Mm -hmm. And it's not. And the other sort of mindset that I have, I guess, is that I'm still learning too. And I get taught things all the time. And my, my goal is to, my joy in life at this age that I'm at is to learn stuff. And I want to see how, how steep I can make my learning curve on any given aspect of my life. So I don't really look at myself as a teacher at all. Um, I look at myself as here's the stuff I've done and here's how I've done it. And I hope you have a better way because I'd love to hear it. So, yeah, that's my sort of take on it. Huh, cool. I'm sure it teaches people because it's experience that I have, but you know, what do you say, Kevin? Well, two things. One is that uh, for From the Wild uh, specifically, um, 
it was never ever intended to be a how-to or to teach um, much to I've, and I had a lot of people ask me to do more of it and I resisted that uh, for a variety of reasons one is the same sentiment that John has that I just didn't feel like an expert especially early on to be teaching anybody anything about anything so um, there was that How, however I I'm also a self-directed learner and I know not everybody is so I feel that I'm putting something creative out there that's got lots of inspiration spots for people to go what did he just do yeah. what did that guy just make or not me but like some guy on the show or some gal on the show like what did she do uh to get them excited about possibilities and like oh does that mean that that cocktail was the best cocktail we've ever made like no but we made it out of like the tree right there and maybe it was one of the best cocktails we ever made and it was out of the tree right there so that's what i want to get people excited about and i think if you can excite people about it they'll learn a lot on their own now big line in the in the sand i also do workshops all year and i'm doing more and more and more of them over the years now uh teaching people how to cook in the field teaching people foraging uh plants and and fungus i'm not teaching hunting uh we'll be teaching people big game uh cookery like i mentioned and we'll be doing a wild mixology full day workshop this year so um, that is explicit teaching where I am like the instructor guy. Yeah. But a lot of that still is um, opening people up to the possibilities. And I think that's maybe one of the lessons of uh, John and I were talking recently that from the wild season nine, we're going to cross over the line of the hundredth episode, which is a lot of <sighs> half hour episodes, wow. like wow. a lot. Wow. Um, we've learned a lot in that, or I have for sure in that, in that sure. stretch. And so now I feel like at this stage, I have some, knowledge to share not not that it's like john said not this like oh i know I've, i'm not the personality type and i have friends that are i'm not the type that's gonna well this is how you do this you'll never hear that from this guy ever um but i can tell you what this chef i was in the field with did with that and i can tell you what i've done with that and i can tell you what i'm excited to do with that but uh what you do with it will be completely you know biased by where you're coming from and what you're interested in what excites you uh, and because we're talking food, there is no hard and fast rules because you can just make a dish the way you like it, which we've always advocated that people do is taste stuff and make it how you like it. So mm. so I do both. I, I think From the Wild is explicitly inspirational. Yeah. It's not aspirational as in like, come see my, I shot a bigger buck than anybody. Come see my big buck. It's <laughs> not even like that at all. It's more like uh, inspiring people to just be outside and, and have a broader experience with the outdoors than what kind of I grew up with or what we're used to hearing uh, as far as messaging. And then like actual explicit, like I, I am here to teach you today where that's the transaction I have with yeah. people when they come to our camp. Inspiration. That's the right yeah. word, Kevin. Just, you know. Yeah. I thought about that with you, John, too. Like you're getting people excited to kind of get caught up in your stories and yeah. your adventures to get them think about, man, I want to, I want to work with that bird or I want to go on that hunt or I want to do something like that. Or, I can't believe, I can't believe you can shoot something with a traditional bow. Maybe I, maybe that's something I want to get into. That's. Those are the cogs I want to. I'm hoping we're stirring yeah, people. Same I, with you, Mark. I mean, it's your work's the same. Yeah. I've always, always felt what what you guys do is defined by inspirational. I mean, it's Good. influenced and changed things that Curtis and I I do, um, and that's a great thing. I think in embracing these technology and these platforms is because. We're, we're doing what hunter-gatherers always did, but rather it 
we're, we're sort of multiplying it, uh, you know, a Agreed. little bit more. And that's, that's um, maybe accelerating, it's reaching a few more people. And, and, you know, I think that's something that hunter-gatherers always wanted. It was probably part of their DNA because it meant the survival of humans to transfer that knowledge. Like they knew if so-and-so didn't know that. how to do yeah. this or, or, or whatever, it's like, if you died, then nobody else would know how to do it. Like, so I even think if you went back tens of thousands of years and said, you know, if you went on this trip and you found this moss and you did this with it, it actually cured the meat. Um, you could use this little thing and it's like half the people on the continent that you've never met are going to know about this and your species, they would probably go like, damn, yes, I want to yeah, tell all these people. So I, agree. I, I think we're just embracing something that is innately human. I think where it um, crosses the line too is, um, and I felt this a bit with my buck because I was just so excited about it. So I know I posted four or five pictures of it and, you know, so people can look at that and go, well, there's a guy who's really proud of himself. And that wasn't, it's not the reason that I posted. I just was genuinely excited and I wanted to show Mark my buck that I shot. And then I wanted to show Curtis this great photo that Kevin took. And, and so it's, I hope it inspires people that are, cause I get messages all the time that people struggling with traditional bow hunting that are just struggling. So mm -hmm. my message is always like, I think I did it in one of my posts where I said, you know, it was the right place at the right time. Yes, but um, it just, it it's hard until it isn't, is one of my new favorite sayings. And it can happen <laughs> at any minute, and it'll usually happen within a couple of minutes. You know, you're, like Curtis said earlier, you're just sitting there having a really bad day, and two minutes later, you have the best day of your life, right? And that can happen at any given time so that's the inspiration that i am going mm -hmm. for when i share you know successes of a big bear or a big animal i i like what you said there where it's it's hard until it isn't and i think even like from a day-to-day -day thing as well as like your whole hunting career um spe specifically more for me like i'm i'm a big fly angler and i was a, a fly guide for seven or eight years something close to that and and i remember when i first started it's like you're you struggle and you're like man i cannot catch a fish and there's you really don't notice it's not like a light switch where it's like oh now it's easy you kind of like i look back and every day that i go out it's not that it's easy but it's like it's it's easy you're not like frustrated you're not struggling with anything you cut you know where everything is and it's it's the same thing with hunting it's not doesn't happen overnight but like in 10 years you look back and you're like okay now it's easy you're you're either you're comfortable with just how much you suck and you're like you've kind of accepted that or, <laughs> or no i hear you man i mean i'm able uh, this year my mule deer that i was able to uh harvest uh i shot two out of the same herd and i did like a 700 yard stock on them and got to within 60 and then the second one they didn't even know where i was when i shot my second deer out of that pocket that group and that's not something i could have done that's like the accumulation of a, a hundred encounters that taught me okay i think okay your head's down i can move now okay there's a draw yeah. here i'm gonna follow it okay i'm, I'm now i'm gonna crawl because she'll see me the, the guard doe is gonna see me if i if i blow it so 
there's all these little accumulations and i and i really do agree with i'm just gonna be like yeah high five to, to both of you about like yeah it, it, there is a time where it does start to uh to get easier on your trajectory like broadly speaking um that's something i don't think john and i had talked about and i also fully agree with what john said that um that it's it's tough until it isn't because i'm the guy in 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 our group i'm the brain that's usually the calm head going it'll it'll happen we just have to are we doing all the right things in the right ecosystem at the right time yes we know that logically that we're doing the right things then it's just apply more time like just do yeah. it again and do um, it again and that uh, can get tough John, you can get your, bombed. your bear podcast was like that you're like i came out here a day ahead of time and it's like i've only seen one bear and and man this this is like the worst thing and then kevin yeah. comes out and he goes i've never had a season where we don't get a bear in the springtime it'll happen you know you get a little change in this and all of a sudden boom, boom boom and john's like no it's not this is the worst thing ever <laughs> was, like just like just joking right like yeah, no yeah. it's not this yeah. is hunting bears is stupid um stupid. but 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 that that yeah that that came across in that that um the bear podcast episodes so beautifully so. oh yeah kevin's always talking me off the ledge with stuff like that this is <laughs> well it's good to have that balance yeah but now, i do it joking and i certainly know that he is right when he says all those things and you know, it's just another example that bear from this spring was, you know, even up until that night, I was just having a really bad hunt. I forget how many bears I'd seen, but it was not many. And then that night I saw a bear and got around into a spot where I, I thought he, they would be, or she would be. And all of a sudden that big guy was there. Right. So it just happens like literally in a matter of a few minutes, you go from being having bad hunting experience to having the greatest hunting experience of your life and i've experienced that over and over and over again in the 40 years of hunting that i've been doing so i know it to be true. i think it's one of the things i like the most actually yeah. to be honest yeah. so that it doesn't bug me high. yeah well yeah kind of that, huh. that 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 you you can't you can you can you don't control this like yeah you kind of put yourself in the position too and then beyond that, it's a gigantic dice roll whether that when I rattle that buck's gonna come in, and all you can do is try and apply all of your instincts in your ears and your nose and your eyes and your brain and try and figure out like, am I doing this right? Could I be doing this better? Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, like I said, it's just it's just a giant chance game that we can't control. So when and then there's just something so deeply satisfying when it does connect, and you just like, wow. I can't believe that happened mm, yeah. when, when it makes sense every time though, of course, were you hunting at that time of year with a tag and a gun in your hand and doing all the right things? Well, yeah, but it still feels so amazing and elating when, when it does come together that it's just, just happy. It's just like this blissful happiness every time. Well, I know yeah. Kevin, I'd said to you a couple of times when we were like this year, I can't believe how hard this is now when I was bow hunting like a, like a madman. Um, it was easy. I would literally have to bug out of Dodge the next day to catch a float plane to the Northwest Territories. So I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to go shoot a deer tonight because this is my one night to be able to do it when I was guiding. And um, I, you know, quite not every time, of course, but a lot of times I would just do it, go out and shoot a deer. And, and then, you know, it's that, it's hard until it isn't sort of mentality, right? And then when I was away from it for all those years and got back into it, it was like hard again. And 
And if you ask me tonight, is it hard to shoot a Pope and young whitetail? It's like, no, it's easy. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, right. So you achieve that. Curtis, that'll be you with your rattling for sure. Yeah. 10 years from now, you'll be like, dude, rattling is easy. I've never been a big shed hunter. Like if I find them, it's just kind of like, oh, that's cool. And my greatest pleasure is actually just hiding it so someone else can't find (laughs) it. (laughs) You're just um, sick of carrying antlers home. Well, man, like you just, you kind of end up with them. And I've had, I had one that porcupine chewed and my dog ran into it and stitches in her inside of her leg and because they're sharp and, and then I was just kind of like, yeah, what can you, there's only so many you can deal with, right? And only so many. So Mark, you're, so Mark, you're the guy that's going ahead of me every time I go shed hunting for like the last five years and hiding all the antlers. Right? Uh, hiding them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. Like when I was spring turkey that. hunting this year, I found this big elk shed and, and I know nobody had been up the trail cause it was laying in the middle of the trail. And so it's, I know where it is, but it's hidden inside the middle of one of those great big huge round juniper bushes that are about 12 feet around and about four it's in it's hidden in the middle i can go get it anytime i want (laughs) but we we've got to find some better um uh whitetail antlers curtis Mm -hmm. and get a bit of a collection going on and like these ones and these ones and carry them all with you yeah (laughs) four sets mixing and matching and yeah yeah yeah, these are the ones for when the temperature is this, and these are the ones for when the humidity is that way. I want to do big buck, big buck, big buck, little buck, two little bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what scenario big, do I want to create here? Yeah, big big buck with a uh, with a Oops. limp on its right left <laughs> front leg. <laughs> That's right. Oh, uh, it's all fun, um, guys. Uh, fantastic conversation. I love talking to you guys. I love following you on social media and chatting behind the scenes and. Um, I'll say it again from the wild in Curtis and I's opinion, I think is the best hunting, fishing, foraging and outdoor show that's out there because it's authentic, it's Canadian and it's about place that, that comes across so heavily in the work that you guys do. This is place. And, and to me, I think we've lost that in so many aspects of society. Our architecture doesn't reflect place. Our food doesn't reflect place. Um, but you guys are really coming back to that grounded principle of place. This is our home. We're doing all of this in a short distance. Like these aren't these big epic journeys to, you know, the other sides of the planet and some ibex thing you've never seen so it's like this is our backyard and this is the food that we're hunting to feed our families it's not an adventure show Mm -hmm. it's uh it's truly about just and i think a lot of people can relate to that i think um people want to watch the adventure shows and the expedition-y stuff but um because it's because it's just neat to watch but fundamentally i think it's easy to relate to i go to my uncle's farm and he's got some bush and there's a deer and, and that's the one we shoot uh, that's a lot easier to relate to than uh, mm-hmm. than flying. And, to, I mean, I literally and had it's an, an adventure offers. as well. I agree, and I I have turned down the offers to go to moose hunting in Kazakhstan, for example, like stuff mm. like that. That from the wild easily could have taken that turn, and we've done a bit of exploring uh, abroad, but 
very little. It's become very much about place and home. Yeah, mm-hmm. and 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 I love that about the show. So, um, yeah. So you guys win our Golden Moose oh, Award because <laughs> this is the last that. episode of 2021. So it's like, like we're the big Academy Award things or whatever. But <laughs> yeah, you got our vote. We, um, so we're Thank always you. advocating to people really to um, go watch it. Is it is the most authentic and refreshing show that's out there and it's inspiring and things the last and i was absolutely real john like last week when when the episode like process came out Mm, like that that episode hit me like a freight train like Mm. both you guys like like you talked to and it's like honestly like like i teared up watching that show there was just something about that that was so deep and like just kind of my whole life kind of came together and same with this age like trying to make this transition to like slowing down and enjoying things and taking pressure off and and all of that and john the way you kind of spoke about process you know it's like it's it's not getting a big buck it's like making an arrow in anticipation of getting a big buck and stuff and um i don't think i've ever watched anything out there that's like that's had that impact on me so um yeah. i want more people following and watching what you do because it's it's good good powerful mm-hmm. content those are all wonderful thanks, comments mark. thanks mark yeah yeah i appreciate yeah that. absolutely go take it away curtis all righty if this podcast has got you in the mood for setting up a pretty sweet camp go check out the folks at alpine toyota and they can rig you up with something to get you into those way cool back places where you can set up a wall tent with lugging in crystal and copper and all sorts of other fancy camp <laughs> stuff. Hot towels. Need a need a set of off road tires to bring in your hot towels. But uh yeah, big thanks to Alpine Toyota and Cranbrook BC for being the Hunter Conservationist title sponsor. Like we keep saying, big supporters of Ducks Unlimited, which is pretty sweet. That's a great organization for wildlife and conservation and for people who like to hunt ducks and cook ducks, so we appreciate that they uh, they support them and appreciate that they support us bringing message and conversations like this that we just had to all you listeners out there. So big thanks to those guys. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the support from Alpine Toyota for 2021 and look forward to carrying on in 2022. Um, the last little thing that I'll put in um, is the giveaway um for the spot x satellite communicator um that the bc wildlife federation is that we've partnered with to give away um that giveaway goes till the 15th of january and that is for the gofundme account to bring tom leonard home to his family i don't know if you guys have seen this story but there is a family here in British Columbia that it'll, I think it's 17 years um, this year, uh, or like 2022, um, where Tom went on a sheep hunt in northern BC and disappeared without a trace. Um, the family has been searching for 16 years, looking for any sign, trace of what happened to Tammy's husband and the girl's dad. So, it's been so long now, essentially, they're on their own um, to try to search. A couple of years ago, a hunter found a tent in 
a remote forested area of the Spatsizi Wilderness Plateau that the family uh, believes was Tom's camp. Um, so they're having to fund private volunteer search and rescue people to go in and grid search this massive, remote, forested, densely brushed, brushed area uh, in northern BC. So we're asking people to go on to GoFundMe.com, um, find Tammy Leonard um, and the Tom Leonard um, account, make a donation, send us a confirmation at hcmedia at thehunterconservationist.com and we'll, that you've made a donation and we'll put your name in for a draw for the satellite spot communicator because um, if Tom may, might have had something like that 16 years ago, um, this might not have happened. So information on that, on how to do that, is in the show notes, and the family has written me several times. They're really appreciative of what people are doing. So um, it's the season of giving. So if you're like us and you make a small donation to somebody or a cause or a charity as part of your Christmas giving, uh, beyond gifts for your family, please think of the Leonard family in British Columbia and um, help bring Tom home in 2022. Kevin, John, thanks so much for being on yeah, the show. This was a great episode. Thank Absolutely you, love Thank it. You, Curtis. Um, love the time when the whole COVID thing's over and maybe we can get up and do some outdoor stuff with you guys and you guys can come down and chase some wild turkeys or something, you know, here and just think of that, John. You get a turkey with your bow and those turkey feathers that are on there. <laughs> and you're are are yours, the rose, the bird you harvested. Rose shaft arrow, yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Goals. Well, I'll I'll miss <laughs> I'll miss Mark, so <laughs> so use your shotgun. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> all right, everybody. We will see you in the next episode and Merry Christmas to y'all.